Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to see your pretty faces. It's good to see those of you who don't have such pretty faces, too. <laughs> you know who I'm talking to. Um, but no, really, it's good to be with um, you all this morning as we continue uh, studying the Gospel of John uh, this week. Um, this morning, I'm going to need a little help from you guys um, to answer a question, and you can answer however you like, but I'm curious, what are some things that we as people are troubled by? What are we worried about? doesn't have to be you. It's not a confession time, but what are some things we're worried about? The future. The future. Yeah. Money. Money. Uh, money? <laughs> yeah. What else are we worried about? Troubled by? Socialism. Socialism. Yes. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other things? Keep them coming. Health. Children. Oh, yeah. Health. Health. Yeah. What are some other things? Jobs. You guys are all being very g- general. What are some specific things that we might be worried about as people? Health. Yep. Maybe, maybe I've got a condition. Maybe I don't want to go to the doctor. <laughs> but I think there's something wrong. Yeah, maybe someone I know is is sick. Maybe um, they're facing end of life because of health issues that they have. Other specific things? Relationships, interactions. Yeah, relationships, interactions. Anybody ever have trouble with their family? (laughs) Pro tip, don't raise your hand for this one. Trouble with your spouse? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> says the single 15-year-old in the back or 16-year-old, <laughs> 16. I, I corrected myself, all right. Yes, there's, there's spouse. Yeah, there are all kinds of things that uh, we worry about. And um, there, was, um, there was an accident scene just a couple years ago. It was a fatal accident scene that um, I, I was on as a, a chaplain. And uh, it was a pretty traumatic scene, and every time I drive that stretch of road, which is several times a week, um, I'm always looking um, for someone to cross the median. Do you ever do this when you hear about accidents and, and those kind of things? There are times that my heart um, gets a little troubled. Sometimes we're troubled or, or worried about our kids or our, our grandkids. Um, are they going to grow up to, to know the Lord? Are their friends a, a good influence on them? How do I keep them um, from drugs, anxiety, um, depression? Sometimes we have trauma uh, from our past that um, troubles us and that causes us to, to worry. As mentioned earlier, sometimes it's medical trouble, paying our bills. Will I be able to afford braces for my kid? What about some of my friends who don't know Christ? What's going to happen to them? Sometimes uh, we're worried um, about our next paycheck. Sometimes, oftentimes, we're worried about the next election, what's going to happen. Sometimes we're worried about and troubled by the next bill that might go through Congress or the next case before our Supreme Court. Sometimes we're worried about um, the next virus, the next war, the next, the next, the next... um, Sometimes it it might just be um, doubts um, that we have. But I'm confident today that if if we're honest, uh, we all are troubled um, by different things on different days, and sometimes that expresses itself in worry, anxiety, 
sometimes in doubt, sometimes in fear, sometimes in anger, um, but it always expresses itself um, somehow, and we're all, um, we're all troubled. So we find ourselves here, and as we begin John chapter 14, um, in kind of the middle of a moment that's happening. Um, it is um, the night or the, the day before probably where Jesus is going to be betrayed. But here we are um, before that where Jesus is celebrating um, the Last Supper. He's celebrating the Passover meal uh, with his disciples who have been with him for three years, who have seen him uh, perform miracles. They've hung out with him around the campfire by night, and they've heard him um, say some incredible and remarkable things. Although clearly, as we've been reading through John, oftentimes they have no idea what he's really talking about and don't quite understand. And Jesus here has talked about um, this, this moment of, of teaching them about the washing each other's feet and the fact that uh, we should love one another. And he begins what seems to be, and what we kind of begin to see even more today, um, these are Jesus's final words um, here on earth. And he's passing these things on um, so that his disciples um, and so we, a couple thousand years later, might um, hear them and understand and not be worried. So before uh, we read um, God's word this morning, let's take a moment and just ask God to guide us. Father, today uh, we are confident um, that you are uh, well aware of our doubts, our fears, the things that trouble us. God, you're well aware of, of things that cause us um, anxiety. You're well aware of um, our failings and our shortcomings. And God, we praise you today because even in the midst of that, as we'll be reminded, um, God, you are gracious to us. God, that you don't cast us out and condemn us, um, but God, you choose um, to extend a grace and forgiveness and love um, to people like us. So God, today as we read your word, God, may you uh, be the one who teaches us. May you um, touch us uh, how and where uh, you desire to do so. And God, may uh, we be changed, even if a little bit, and that you might receive glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you got your Bibles um, this morning, turn to John chapter 14. And uh, we're going to be looking at um, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Um, this morning. It starts um, by Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the words themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what I want to do this morning is kind of just go back through um, several sections of these verses and, and talk about them for a few minutes, and then talk about um, at the end, what is it What is it? I think Christ is saying to the disciples then, and what is he saying to us today? So in the first few verses, uh, we see, and actually in the first words, uh, we see Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, that's... That's great, <laughs> Jesus, um, but you just told us that um, you were leaving, and we can't follow you, and we kind of like hanging out with you, <laughs> and um, we believe you have the words to eternal life, but you're leaving, and we can't, can't go with you. And then there's this whole thing, Jesus, about you saying that Peter, which we think is probably one of the most zealous people among us, that he's going to deny you like before morning. That's coming fast. And not only is he going to deny you before morning, he's actually going to do it three times. And now we're all kind of worried. And you can begin to sense, as you read through this moment, that um, the anxiety is beginning to amp up um, in the disciples. And Jesus knows that. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And again, for us today, we're, we're worried about many things. And Jesus tells them, and I believe tells us today, um, to let not your hearts be troubled. But why does he say that? What, what's the solution? It's great. You know, sometimes um, you're worried about something. And has anyone ever told you when you're worried about something, just stop it? Yeah. Great advice, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> like, thanks. Get away from me. Uh, just, just, just don't be worried. <laughs> Just, just don't be anxious, and it'll all be fine. Well, except for that doesn't work. And Jesus knows that. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he says this, believe in God, believe also in me. Because Jesus knows those times, those moments when we get troubled, we get worried. It is because we're taking our eyes off of him. And he wants us to look at him. Imagine or, or think about the moments where Peter was walking on water. Well, what happened? Peter stopped looking at Jesus and he fell. There in that moment. For us, let not your hearts be troubled. What's the solution? Jesus says to believe in God, believe also in me. Keep your eyes on me. And remember the context. He's leaving. They can't go with him. And they haven't quite gotten everything that he has ever said and understood it completely. And he says, believe in me. Keep your eyes on me. And he begins to set the stage for this conversation that he's about to have with them about God the Father and him. And it really sets the stage for the rest of the passage. But for sure we know that belief in God is the remedy um, to our troubled hearts and our minds. 
He goes on in, in verse 2, and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, um, I would have told you, or would I have told you that I go to a prayer place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, and I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Jesus reminds them as he's about to leave this earth that their home is not here on earth. Jesus knows the disciples are about to face um, some pretty stiff um, competition, some pretty stiff persecution. Their lives are going to be on the line within hours because of their belief in him. And he wants to remind them, don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Keep your eyes on me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We're reminded that in chapter 13, that Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And we know that Jesus tells him that he'll deny him before the morning. And then Jesus um, says this, and you know the way uh, to where I'm going. And the disciples' response is pretty classic. Um, no, no, we don't. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't we don't know where that is. And Jesus um, says a, something here in uh, verse 3. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but he also says this, that I will come again and I will take you to myself. Heaven isn't just about a place with mansions and rooms and all of these streets of gold and all of these wonderful things. He says that I will take you to myself. I will take you to be with me. Heaven isn't just a place. Um, it is where Jesus is. That He is taking us to be with him. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So they asked this question, how can we know the way? And we're reminded of a few statements that Jesus has already made, these I am statements. There's actually seven in the Gospel of John. Six um, have already happened. Well, five happened, six happens now. And the seventh happens just after this. In chapter six, with the feeding of the 5,000, where they just wanted more food, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, to remind them that he is to be their source. He is to be our source in John chapter 8, during the Feast of Tabernacles, reminding them of the pillar of fire that guided the children of Israel at night through the wilderness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, telling all of Israel that he's the gatekeeper, he says, I am the door of the sheep. Also in John 10, reminding them that the current religious leaders in their day and their world don't really care for his people. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, after Lazarus died, that he has the power over life and death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 15, 
coming up here, just at, at the tail end of this conversation, we'll pick it up next week, where he's telling Israel to look at him and not just to their nation to save them. He says, I am the true vine. But here in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So I want to look at those for just a few minutes and unpack them a little bit. And I want to look at um, some other verses in Scripture to give us some context of what Jesus is actually saying, what he might be meaning by these things. So he first says, I am the way. In Acts 9, verse 2, it says, And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We know that those who are following Christ after his death, what they were following, this new faith, this new religion that they were following, it was called the way. It caught on so much for Christ's followers to be called that. In Acts 4, we see that um, it says in verse 12, and it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter points out in this sermon to Jewish um, authorities, religious authorities, that without belief in Jesus, they're doomed for all eternity. Without belief in Jesus, their religious beliefs mean nothing. In Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus uh, is reminding us that his death was the death of the sacrificial lamb, no longer did they need um, to be doing these sacrifices, that he was the ultimate sacrifice for them. And that through his death, they now have full access to God and his forgiveness. So when Jesus says that he is the way, he's telling us salvation comes through him. Not through a belief system, not through a religion, but through a relationship with him. He goes on and says, I am the truth. We're reminded by several other passages in John as he develops this idea. In chapter 1, verse 14, John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're reminded that Jesus is full of truth. In chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth comes through Jesus. John 8, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This truth that comes from Jesus sets us free. And in John 18, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture Verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and, and this is Jesus before Pilate after he was arrested um, in this trial that's happening. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, 
do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered him, I, a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And in verse 37, Pilate says this, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness or testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus here says, the reason that I was born, the reason that I came into this world was to testify to the truth. You think about that. These are Jesus' words. And he says, the reason that I was born, that I've come into this world, was to testify to the truth. So what is the truth? Is it about politics? <laughs> is it about what um, the Roman um, culture is doing? Um, is it about um, medicine in, in the common era? Is it about you know, work strategy? Is it about whatever? No. What, what do we know um, is the truth? He's testifying about himself. All through his life, and as we look at all of the things that Jesus says, he's testifying about himself. The reason I was born and have come into this world is to testify about myself. And not only is he just testifying about himself, he's testifying about the fact that he indeed is God. He is God. So Jesus says that I am the way, that he is. I'm the one who is going to bring salvation through relationship and belief in him. He says that I am the truth. I am the one who, who brings it. I'm the one who gives it. I'm the one who defines it. In fact, um, I am the truth, and my whole life has been about testifying to the truth, the fact that I am God himself here in your midst. He then says, I am the life. Again, several uh, themes here in the, the Gospel of John in chapter um, 11. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus claims to be the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That Jesus is the defeater of physical death and he is the giver of life. In John 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That Jesus is indeed the embodiment of life. John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That Jesus um, has this life and is given to him by his heavenly Father. In John 17, 3, which we'll read later, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you want eternal life, it can only be given through a relationship with Jesus. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Where are you going, Jesus? We don't know the way to get to where you're going. What does he say? It's me. 
I am the way. Believe in my words, I am the truth. And I am the one who will give you life. And he finishes this statement by saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's quite a claim. And in fact, if, if you were to go to your workplace and, and there have a moment where everyone um, turned to your desk or you're there at the lunch table with everyone um, in your office or you're there at some of the ball diamond with your kids or, or wherever it might be and you have a moment um, to speak to other people and you make this claim that there's, there's no other way, none, to get to heaven. There's no other way to be forgiven of our sin, to be made right with God except through Jesus Christ. There's none. How do you think people might react? They're probably going to be a little ticked off at you, right? Oh, what you're saying is, well, the, the, the way I believe is wrong? <laughs> well, I'm not saying it, but Jesus said it. Uh, well, you're saying that uh, all roads don't lead to heaven? I'm not saying it, but Jesus said it. All um, roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus says no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's quite a claim that he makes. And I would, um, I would encourage you, um, as you have this conversation with others, and it's a conversation we need to have, um, remind them. It's, it, they're not your words. They're Jesus' words. Someone's upset about that claim, they don't need to be upset with you. You're quoting Jesus, and you happen to believe him. If they have a problem with those words, then they got a problem with him. But no one comes to the Father except through him. The passage goes on in, in verse 8. Um, now Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. They don't, they don't really believe him still. Show us more. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." We're reminded of a couple of things here. <laughs> Remember this theme of believe in me, believe in God, believe also in me. Carrying on this theme of understanding that um, Jesus um, isn't just, he just doesn't know God the Father. Um, he's not God the Father, but he is God himself. Both the Father and the Son are God. The claims that he's making are, are incredible. And he reminds them again, what are they supposed to do? To believe in him. You begin to see that um, here there's this multiple and there's, there's a few in this passage. There's one coming next week where um, the disciples are responding to what Jesus has told them, that he's going to be leaving them. And they can't go right now to where he's going. And in fact, you know, reminder that Peter was going to deny him and they're all troubled. And Jesus wants them to know that they can believe him. 
And he tells them to believe my words. And if you don't believe them, believe because of what I've done. Believe my works. So we move on to uh, verse 12. And, and sometimes these, these verses that we're getting to are a little controversial. So I hope to make sense of them this morning a little bit for us. In verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We must first realize this is carrying over the conversation. It's not a separate conversation. It's the same conversation that Jesus is having with them. And the thought is carried over um, from verse 11, where Jesus says, believe me because of my words, and if not, believe me because of my works. So who's this promise being made to? We see that it's made to whoever believes. He transitions here and talking to the disciples, the, the future apostles, He's not just talking to them, but he makes a statement. He's making a promise here to all who ever believe. So that would include us. I'm here today. We've also seen this exact phrase before um, in Scripture, particularly in John, uh, this, these words, whoever believes in me. In John chapter 6, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 7, whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In John 11, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In John 12, whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. These all point to the fact that this is normal Christianity when John or Jesus is making this type of statement. So who is this um, promise being made to? It's to all who believe, whoever believes. So what exactly is the promise? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So what are those works? What's their purpose? So the works so far that we can see, and this is just some of them, in John 2, Jesus turned the water into wine. In John 4, uh, he reads the mind of the woman in Samaria. In John 4 also, um, he healed the official's son. John 5, he had healed the man crippled for 38 years. In John 5, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. In John 6, he walked on water. In John 9, he healed a man born blind. John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's pretty exciting, huh? Imagine that was your week. Be pretty stellar. You'd have some things to talk about at the, the family dinner today. Hey, how was your week? Uh, well, uh, well, how was your week? Well, I fed a few thousand people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, raised a guy from the dead, turned water into wine, healed a guy that was born blind, a guy that was crippled. Yeah, that was all right, a week. I mean, those are exciting things, right? Jesus did um, some amazing, miraculous things, without question. He also did many others that we don't often think about. Some of them, I'm sure, aren't listed. We read about how Jesus uh, would have listened um, to others. We read about Jesus and how he would have spoken um, the truth, how he would have shared 
um, the gospel. We read how Jesus would have forgiven people, how he would have gone to people uh, who um, culturally it wasn't okay um, to be with. We read that Jesus washed people's feet and, and served them. We read so many other things that Jesus also did that weren't all miraculous. Jesus' works weren't all miracles. But we can see that their purpose at all times was to glorify God and to bring people to faith. Why did Jesus do these things? To glorify God. So could this passage mean that everyone's going to do miracles? That's what a lot of people say. Um, a lot of churches might believe that. Even local churches might believe that or write books about that. That because Jesus said, um, you're going to do greater works than him, we're all going to do miracles. Um, I submit to you that the answer is no. Because we already know um, several other things from Scripture to help us understand what he's saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're reminded, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by this one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We can clearly see in Paul's word to the church in Corinth, each one is given these gifts individually, not applied to all, because remember, this promise is made to who? Oh, come on now. Who's the promise made to? All believers, all who believe in Christ. So what about these greater works? It says that greater works than these he will do. What about the greater part? What does that mean? So for us to be reminded this morning that we've already established that this promise is to all who believe. And later in Scripture, we've clearly understood that everyone doesn't do miracles, although that would be really awesome. Um, I'd vote for that. Um, clearly, I'm not Jesus. And the idea um, to think that we would somehow do miracles or miraculous miracles or even more miraculous miracles than Jesus, it's just kind of silly to think about um, that all of us, or even just one of us, let's pick Carl, that Carl this week is going to do more miraculous miracles than Jesus. He is going to be more powerful than Jesus. But no. I love Carl. Carl's amazing. Um, but that's just ridiculous. It's just a silly idea to think that any one of us would do something greater than Jesus, let alone all of us. That's um, going to be qualitatively bigger. So what does it mean? I think here, greater means quantitatively, not qualitatively. Um, Jesus um, led people to faith in a three-year period. 
he was doing his ministry for only three years, and he was only doing his ministry in a small portion of the world. After his death, the disciples, and consequently all of us um, who believe, um, have been sharing the gospel for over 2,000 years, and we've been doing it all over the world. I believe that this is the greater that he speaks of. It's not more powerful, more awesome, more amazing, amazing qualitatively so, but greater quantitatively so. And for us, um, we get to look back at the Messiah who has already come, whereas Jesus was pointing to the fact that he was here and coming. So what about um, verses 13 and 14? It says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So again, context is king, right? We have to understand what is Jesus saying. Because many would take these verses 12 through 14 and pull them out and say, well, we're going to develop a whole new theology out of these. But they, they forget the fact that you're in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> Jesus is in the middle of talking about things. And in fact, it doesn't end just with 14, although we will today. Um, he goes on to talk about more things. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would, in the middle of talking about um, not, not worrying, not being troubled, to believe in me and to somehow say, well, believe in me, and oh, by the way, you're going to be doing some really awesome stuff, and I'm kind of like your magic genie. Um, he doesn't, it makes no sense that he would do that. But he does say, whatever you ask in my name, I will do, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus told them that he was going to be leaving and that Peter um, <clears throat> was going to deny even knowing him. In fact, the disciples were going to do that. This made the disciples troubled. He knew um, that they were still somewhat confused, which is not a surprise at all. That's the last three years of his life with them. And they still didn't understand exactly what was happening. So he reminds them to trust him, believe in him, he reminds them that if they've seen him, they've seen the Father, giving his words great authority, and ultimately that they need to look to him. Second, we need to notice um, other scriptures that inform us in regards to this whole in my name part. In John 15, next week we'll look at where it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a condition here that's given uh, to asking for something in his name and it be given to us, whereas in John chapter 14, there's no condition. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. In 1 John 5, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we've asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, there's a condition. In Mark 11, it says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So in other places, um, there are conditions applied to this in asking in his name and getting it. If you abide in me and abide in my words, if you ask according to his will, if you believe that you have received it. And although there's not a condition that's given here in John, we can see that in other places there are. 
So what does in my name mean here? There's certainly not magic words that if we invoke them at will, somehow God will give us what we want. Although there are some that maybe would think that would be awesome. You know, for instance, seven-year-old girls. I want a pony. Or maybe Dan would think that. I want, I want a pony. Maybe it would be, I want a million dollars. Oh, I forgot. I want a million dollars in Jesus' name. I, I want to be healed in Jesus' name. I want my marriage to be okay in Jesus' name. And somehow, if we add these words to our requests, that somehow, magically, we're going to get what we want. Certainly, um, that's not what Jesus is saying and would make no sense um, in the context of what's going on. Um, And he's certainly not even saying here that we should end every prayer this way to somehow get what we want. He is saying that when you pray with my name, my will, for my purposes, for my glory, I will grant it. When you pray with my name, with my will, for my purpose, for my glory, I will grant it. He's continuing the idea that he is from the Father, that he is in the Father and the Father's in him. And his purpose is that the Father would be glorified in him. It doesn't happen by some cosmic genie. It happens when we align ourselves with God's will and we pray to God for that to happen. The Lord desires to transform us so that we would want what he wants, so that we would desire what he desires. There were times um, in my life that um, I would ask somebody, hey, are you gonna be able to be at that meeting? they would respond, well, if, if it's the Lord's will. Has that ever annoyed anybody else? Okay, it's just me. All right, it's great. Um, that would always frustrate me. But like, I, I'm not asking you about God's will. I just want you to say yes or no. Are you going to be at the meeting or not? But I've, I've learned that, um, and some people I'm sure probably say that facetiously, but um, I've really learned to appreciate those that actually mean it. I'll be there if that's God's will. And, they're, and sometimes they're even saying, if I'm still here on earth, that, that's what they mean. If, if God's will is to take me home, glory be to God, I'm out of here. Um, oh, and by the way, I won't be at the meeting. <laughs> um, but for us to, to align ourselves with God's will, with God's purpose, for his glory, and, and this contextually in the passage makes perfect sense, that when we do those things, certainly God will grant our requests. So what does this all mean? First, I'm reminded that we have an incredibly gracious God. Here in this moment with the disciples is they, um, they don't understand. <laughs> they ask questions, and in fact, they don't just ask questions. Oftentimes, they're, they're questioning Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus is patient with them. I mean, Jesus is about to be crucified. I mean, it's not just he's going on to tomorrow. He's, he's about to be betrayed um, by someone he chose. 
um, someone that he loves. He's about to be denied um, by Peter. Um, his people are about to scatter. He is about to experience um, immense uh, physical pain. And the God of the universe is going to physically die. I mean, all of those things are in his mind. He knows these things are going to happen and much, much more. And, and here as he's talking to his disciples, um, his, his inner core of, of friends and people, they don't get it and they question him. And he is gracious to them. I want us to know that um, he is gracious to us in our denial of him, in our stubbornness, in our confusion, in our flat out disobedience. Um, God is gracious to us. Second, Jesus was and is God himself. And that comes with all the power and authority from the Father. And third, because of these things, we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. But in all things, uh, we should simply look to him. So I don't know what you're facing today. Without a doubt, um, everyone here is probably facing something. Whether it is physical pain, whether it is um, a loved one who's hurting Maybe it's your own doubts about who Jesus is or was. God is gracious. He is good, patient with us. He has all the power and authority to accomplish his will. And because of these things, we can look to him. Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. So let's go to the Lord as we close this morning. God, we're grateful for your word this morning that guides us and teaches us. God, that at times it, it rebukes us and encourages us, challenges us. God, it informs us, it reminds us. And God, we're grateful for your word this morning that transforms us. God, may you be glorified in us today. May you grant us, even if only a little, a bit of understanding. And God, may we be transformed to be more like Jesus. For it's in his great, powerful name we pray. Amen.